This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 145, Geography, Part 2. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back. This is the second half of my conversation with Jeremy DeHutt and Barry Britnell of Appian Media. If you missed the first part, check it out. In this segment, we discuss walking the Bible, Bruce Filer's attempt to connect with the story of God without truly becoming a believer. That's a wasted effort in my book, and Jeremy and Barry agree. We also discuss the collection of knowledge for its own sake and how it leaves us well short of God's plan for our lives. This is what I've been reading. I absolutely loved Bruce Filer's book, American Prophet, which detailed the importance of the Moses story in American life. So when I heard he'd written a book about charting the story of God through actual journeys through Bible lands, I grabbed it quickly. What a disappointment. It became obvious early on that walking the Bible was not about strengthening personal faith. It was purely cultural. Can we identify ourselves as being the people of God without actually knowing God at all? That's a (laughs) man. uh, What a contradictory question. I'm not familiar with the book. I've seen the cover. I know that he's written several books having to do with faith. And like you mentioned, the one about Moses. I don't know how long of a conversation this is going to be. I don't know. I don't <laughs> That's know. mostly up to you guys. Well, well so think about uh, in terms of adoption. Can I really be someone's son if I don't know them or have a relationship with them? And the answer is no. Simply having an academic knowledge of someone or being familiar with the context of their story isn't enough. Um, there's value to it for sure. I don't want to downplay the value. And I, I think Barry could speak to this really well. There's value to knowing the context and the culture of the story. And I think that's a shortcoming that a lot of Western Christians have. Um, it's not everything, but there's value to it. Uh, I think that's why Barry takes groups over there in the first place. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I haven't, I'm like Jeremy, I haven't read that book. I'm familiar with the book. Uh, I have flipped through it, but I've never actually read the book. Perhaps this will encourage me to go and uh, go and do that. I think there is value in understanding a little bit of the culture surrounding the Bible. I've led tours over there for several years. And one of the things that um, I often hear is that the land is the fifth gospel. You kind of need to understand the land a little bit to understand a lot of what, what's written in the Bible. And I I agree with that statement to a degree. I don't want to overemphasize that. I think when we all get to heaven, the sliver of people that are in heaven who have actually been to Israel is going to be extremely, extremely small. And that's because God wrote his word to be understood by everyone, not just by the people who happen to go walk across the land. Uh, With that being said, I think there is value in understanding geography. For me personally, it helps me to understand why the writers wrote the way they did. There are certain nuances in the text that I think become more striking uh, if you understand a little bit about the geography and about the culture of the people as well. Uh, Earlier, we talked about King Herod. Before I traveled over there, I knew who King Herod was, and I could open up to Matthew, the second chapter, and I could read about him. But until I went over there, until I studied a little bit about the land, I didn't realize how influential that person was during the first century. 
here in the United States, uh, we can travel to New England or colonial Virginia, and we can look at buildings that are 250 years old. And we tell our kids, these are old buildings, right? Okay. <laughs> 250 years doesn't even scratch the, the <laughs> definition of old in Israel. Everywhere Jeremy and I have been over there, whether it's Jerusalem or Caesarea or Samaria or Caesarea Philippi or parts of the Galilee or Masada or Jericho, buildings that were built by King Herod are still standing and you can see them and you can walk through them and you can touch them. These are buildings that have stood there for 2000 years. But seeing these buildings help you appreciate the culture of the time, and it helps you appreciate some of the characters that are in the biblical story. And going one step further, going back to something we talked about earlier, it's helped me appreciate why God chose that period of time as, okay, this is the time in which I want to send my son to the earth. And I want to implement the next phase of my plan to rebuild the fellowship, the relationship between God and man. So I think it's vitally important to try to study that as much as we can. Or even going further back than that. I mean, the first time, uh, I think it was the first time that I traveled with Barry, Anna and I went on one of his tours. I think it was late 2015, uh, October-ish. And one of the places that he took us was Tel Dan. And we saw this gate that dated to the time of Abraham. So in all likelihood, it was one of the places that Abraham went as he pursued and rescued Lot. And so you're going way further back than Mm -hmm. even the life of Jesus. And to see that, to realize the physical evidence for the reliability of the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis, Mm -hmm. um, was powerful. There's value in both. And so I have a lot of respect and appreciation for people like uh, Dr. Scott Stripling, who was the the dig director over at Shiloh and and worked with us on searching for a king. The people that go over there and have the ability to travel and to excavate and to study and research and make their findings available for those of us who can't and won't have the opportunity. It adds depth to our understanding of the biblical text, because when we come to it, and it's true with any book, not just the Bible, but with any book. We've talked about this as a team. We fill in the gaps of knowledge with what we're familiar with. So when I read something and I've never seen it or experienced it or been there, my imagination fills it in with what's familiar to me. You know, so I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and on the Pacific coast. And so when I hear of seas or oceans, I think of that. uh, And I think of rocky beaches. When I hear about rivers, I think about the Columbia River that cuts through the gorge just north of Portland. And so as you, as a kid reading the Bible, I filled in the unfamiliar with what was familiar to me. And so to help people fill it in more accurately, I think helps them put pieces together that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise. And so that's, that's been a lot of fun to do that for ourselves and then also to help other people do that. So one of the things that's really encouraging when, when people use our resources is when we get feedback from them and they're like, this makes so much more sense now. And you see their, their comprehension, their trust in God's word, and even their, their awe and wonder deepen, like we're, we're hitting the mark, right? And I've, I've had uh, students, I'm sure Jeremy has as well. I've had students walk up to me, eight-year-olds that said, yeah. I never knew 
that the Sea of Galilee looked like that. Yeah. But what's interesting to me about that statement is when the eight-year-old says it, but also I've had 80-year-olds come up and say the same thing. And these are these are men and women who I honor and cherish in my life because they are incredible Bible scholars. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know more about the Bible and about God's word than I can ever dream of knowing. But they come up to me and they say, thank you for showing me that video clip about the Sea of Galilee. I never understood exactly what that looked like. These are real stories that involved real people in real places. Once you have come to the conclusion that these were real people in real places, and the events in the Bible really happened, then you have a decision you have to make with your life. And that is, what am I going to do with this information? Is there anything about my life that I need to change now that I have come to the conclusion that these people and places and events actually existed? Well, let's let's bring it back maybe to the, the conversation about culture. There are a couple of approaches to culture and written works. You know, there's some people that would say a written work is a product of its culture. They'll claim that the Bible is this collection of products of the cultures in which it was written. Um, There's some truth to that. And there are some incorrect ideas about that. It was not culturally created. It was not a construct that the people of its time made in order to accomplish certain things, but it was written in a historical cultural context to communicate something to the people then. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to fully appreciate and grasp the things, the, the eternal truths that were communicated to that culture, then I need to better understand that culture because it's not my culture. Right. And so what that I think that is one of the themes of Trial and Triumph, going back to the newest documentary. You know, our earlier works, we we're trying to look at whether the Bible was reliable. You know, did the events of Jesus's life as they recorded match up with the land and the physical remains as we have them? Right. And, and the answer is yes. For the life of Jesus and the United Kingdom searching for a king, the Bible is reliable. It matches up with the physical evidence that we have. But trial and triumph, we're already assuming that. But we're trying to make the point that it's relevant. So if I can understand the the audience, the original audience and its historical context and culture, then I will better be able to apply the principles to my culture and historical context because the truths are eternal. You can take this even domestically. I know Steve Wolfgang is very big on traveling to to graveyards and looking at tombstones. And and there's a a fair amount of history, even in the United States with regard to spiritual things. And that's fine. And I think that there's a lot of value in studying those kind of things. But at some point we have to ask ourselves, are we just learning about ourselves or are we learning about God? If you're learning about what being a Christian has meant, what they went through, how that relates to me, how I compare and, and basically putting myself in the culture of Jesus Christ historically, or the people of God historically, that has value to a certain degree. But if I never go from that to actually achieving a relationship with God. If I leave it simply on planet earth, if I leave it just in the culture of human beings, I've stepped short. I'm not sure exactly at what point I realized my frustration with the book, but I think that's what my frustration was. This is a cultural Jew who sees himself as a product of his environment and going back to his roots, going back to his ancestry, he understood more about what it means to be a Jew, which is fine. You know, that's, that's okay. Yeah. But if we're not learning about God, if we're not 
going into spiritual realms, we've stopped short of God's goal. I think, I think Barry would, would agree with this. You know, I think you've said it. I think several people on the team have said it. Almost anybody that I know that, that has been doing this traveling and, and leading tours or researching the history of the Bible and the reliability of the Bible says this. The more you put the Bible to the test, the more you compare it with the physical remains, the more that you compare it to the culture and the audience in which it was first sent to, the more amazed you are and the more trust you have in that it, be, it is the word of God. And so it's kind of like the miracles of Jesus. Jesus did these physical things to help you have trust in the spiritual things that you couldn't right. see. If the Bible is reliable in regards to geography and history and culture with the variety of writers over such a span of time, if it gets those things right with the geography and everything else, then the spiritual truths are true. And so the folks that have put the time in walk away in wonder with their faith deeper and deeper and deeper. So for instance, Barry, I've been with him in the Valley of Elah a handful of times now. Every single time that he reads the facts of the story, as he stands in the geographical location and puts pieces together for people, it's not just a cold static story that he's recounting. It's a story that inspires greater faith and trust in God. And that has an emotional impact on him every single time he reads it. I don't suppose there are any giant footprints there that you can, <laughs> you can look at that actually document the story. We've looked. I think we need to go back and look again. Yeah, I'll be, I'm more than happy to go back on a uh, go back and, and check for you. <laughs> I'm sure Delta's got a flight that leaves tonight that we can be there tomorrow. I'm sure it does. I'm yeah. sure it does. <laughs> This is what I've been playing. Lately, I've been honing my geography skills at www.satera.com, and I have to admit I'm getting pretty good. If you need someone to name 50 African nations or distinguish between Turkmenistan and Tajikistan, I'm your guy. But I'm not sure if it's actually improving my life. I've also spent a lot of time stockpiling facts from the Bible, memorizing lists of names, verse citations, the number of chapters in Paul's various epistles, all sorts of things. It's easy to assume that acquiring facts is the same thing as acquiring wisdom, but after 50 plus years of experimentation, I've learned that it's not. How do we keep from becoming complacent and prideful in our education? Take it away, Barry. You've been a student. <laughs> than me. No, I know. Well, <laughs> that's actually a really, really good question. And I wish I had a really, really good answer for it because the, the answer, as you were asking the question, the answer that immediately just popped into my mind is just realizing that we don't know everything. There is so much to learn. For me personally, traveling over to Israel has taught me one lesson, and that is kind of the more I learn, the less I know. I realized that, you know, I grew up going to church. I have been a Christian since I was young been to Bible class on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning of my life, practically. I grew up in a home in which God's word was taught. And uh, it's easy for me to be, you know, when I, by the time I got in my thirties and I'm starting to raise children, think, you know, I, I know everything. I've listened to thousands of sermons. I've sat in thousands of Bible classes. But then for me personally, when I went over there for the, for the first time, I realized how little I knew. 
I don't mean that to say that I didn't have the faith required to become a child of God. I believe I did. But it, what it taught me was that I had a lot more work to do. There was so much more that I needed to learn to be an effective child of God. So the more I learn, the more I have in my toolbox that I can use to teach others with. For me personally, I have always loved geography. I've always loved traveling. I've always loved God's word. And so traveling to Israel and then being able to come back to the United States and teach others about that is kind of a a blending of a lot of passions in my life. And so I have enjoyed the opportunity to do that. And uh, I've enjoyed the opportunity to actually, you know, take people over there. And as Jeremy said in the last segment, uh, to walk through the Valley of Elah and to say, all your life, you have read about the story of David and Goliath. You are standing exactly where that story took place. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only for the Valley of Elah, but uh, hundreds of other places over yeah. there. Uh, you, you just need to approach Bible study very humbly and uh, never, never get prideful. Never think, well, I, I pretty much know it all now. Uh, because uh, about the time that you think that, you realize how much more there is to learn. Uh, and as Jeremy has said, the more we learn and the more we test God's word, the more we become convinced that it is what it claims to be. It's, it's the word of God. And how amazing is God's word that as you read it over the course of your life, you're always learning. There is always something new or a new perspective, or something that you forgot that you needed to be reminded of. Like, it doesn't matter how old you get, God's word is always fresh. And I love that. I love that I'm not going to get to some point and be like, well, I'm done with that book and kind of kind of set right. it aside. There's always more to learn. But something that has stood out, one of, the, one of the roles that I've gotten to play with the team, and Barry has too, is to interview some really neat people. You know, I'm not just I'm not just telling my story. I'm not just recounting biblical truths. I get to tell other people's stories. I get to help other people get to know their stories. Mm-hmm. And some of those folks have had experiences that I will never get to have. And so their perspectives are really helpful. And there's a common theme through several of them. I was thinking about this. So Dr. Gabriel Barkai, uh, the gentleman who's in charge of the sifting project, the Temple Mount sifting project there in Jerusalem. And Dr. Scott Stripling, the gentleman who's in charge of the Shiloh archaeological dig. And then for Trial and Triumph, we went and we interviewed Farrell Jenkins, uh, who was the former head of the Bible department down at Florida College. And these gentlemen, uh, Dr. Barkai and Farrell, are probably the older two of the three, you know, but Scott's been around too. And they have been researching and studying the Bible and the physical remains, and the geography, the majority of their adult lives. And to a person, when you ask them, what is the most incredible experience that you've had? What is the thing that stands out to you the most after a life of doing all of this incredible stuff? Every single one of them will say the exact same thing. It's the people that we've gotten to know. It's the people that have been blessed. It's the people as they they come to realization of some of these things. And so I think that answer has a really important key in it, that if I'm learning just to learn and to store up facts, I'm missing the point of learning. You know, they, these gentlemen who have dedicated their lives to learning find the value when it's dispensed and it blesses and helps and encourages people. 
they have faces and they have names in their memories of the folks that have been blessed from the learning. It's fun when you find some off fact or make a, make a connection somewhere that you hadn't made. But if you're doing it just for the mental exercise of it, you're missing the point. Right. You know, it, it's meant to bless and change people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can get that, maybe that will energize us to keep learning more, to keep blessing more. I like that a lot. I think I grew up in the the Bible drill environment where mm-hmm. it's all about knowing the 12 sons of Jacob and knowing sure. the 10 plagues and knowing the genealogy of Jesus and all these facts. It's kind of ironic that the Valley of Elah came up in conversation because this was a formative moment in my self-evaluation, you might say. I, was, I used to watch Jeopardy a lot. And you're kind of playing along, you know how this is. And, and Bible history or something like that was one of the, or the Bible probably was the was the topic. And and the daily double comes up and I'm saying, bet it all, bet it all, bet it all. You know, I, I got this, I got this. It's like, who, the, this is the man who was killed in the Valley of Elah. And I was just dumbstruck. It's like, I have this vague notion that I've heard of the Valley of Elah. It's, you tell me that's in the Bible, I'm going to believe you. But I have no idea who was killed in the Valley of Elah. The blow to your ego in a moment <laughs> like that is it's like, I really thought that any question that would be asked on a game show about the Bible, I would, I would know that. And most of the time I do, but I didn't know that one. And uh, well, now I know, you know, <laughs> I've, yeah. I've learned my lesson as far as that goes. I know who died in the Valley of Elah, but that's not what faith is all about. That's not what walking with Christ is all about. Knowing information is great. You know, having facts that you're at the ready is a very handy tool to have in your arsenal, but it's not the same thing as developing faith. It's not the same thing as developing relationships. No. I keep coming back to, is it first Corinthians eight, one where uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If I want to look important, if I want to look significant, if I want to look like I am a better Christian than anybody else, the best thing I can do is spout a whole bunch of knowledge and just throw fact after fact after fact at people. And preachers are in position to do that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily help. That does a good job of, of puffing me up, of making me look important, but it doesn't further the cause of Christ. And if I am truly interested in doing work for the Lord and for the Lord's people, knowledge does, isn't unimportant. But knowledge in the absence of love, knowledge in the absence of any kind of real relationship with humans, with people, and with God, obviously, is a, is a wasted effort and probably hurting the cause more than helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, our role, our role as saints is to help make and mature disciples, right? And you can't do that without knowledge. There, there's certain knowledge you need in order to come to faith and to respond in faith to the word of God. Um, so Jesus over in John chapter 13 and verse 17, as he's trying to give the apostles, the example of humility, you know, this is what it looks like. I'm going to wash your feet. And in verse 17, he talks to them about, um, now that you know, these things, there's some knowledge that you've got now, now that you know, these things, blessed are you, if you do them. So you can't separate knowledge from faith or knowledge from discipleship. But I think on the spectrum, we've sometimes leaned too far over as long as your head is chock full of stuff. Right. And so there there are two examples that jump into my brain. This last fall, I was blessed to be a part of a young men's leadership camp in uh, in New York. 
and we're standing in line for lunch one day. And one of the students, normally the, the age range is like 13 to 19, 13 to 20. But there was a young man in his late 20s, and he was there because he had recently become a Christian. So he, there's a lot that he's trying to learn. And he was standing in line, and he, he was talking about his family that he wants to try to influence for Christ and share the gospel with. And he's like, this, this is going to work as long as I give them enough knowledge. If they haven't come to faith, they just need more knowledge, right? It's it that's the problem. It's a deficit of knowledge. And so at some point, there's this magical tipping point that once I've given them just enough facts, boom, it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to become Christians, um, which is really sweet. It's really sweet to think that. Uh, but that's not true. You know, the, people do need knowledge. They need enough knowledge to make a decision. Um, but at some point, it's the heart. You know, they're making a decision. At some point, it's not a deficit of knowledge. It's an issue of the heart. And so to have that, that conversation with them. And, and the other example of that is years ago, um, I was teaching and volunteering in an Indiana state prison, uh, 3,000 population. Um, and I went in to the room where I taught classes, and there's a big whiteboard in there. And somebody had been in there uh, a day or two before and had taught a lesson and the entire whiteboard was filled with verses. I can't tell you how many verses were on that whiteboard. Wow. And this guy had filled this whiteboard in the course of 90 minutes. And so the guys were like, man, look at the page. Look at the page of verses that I got from this guy. And I was like, so what did all those verses say? And they're like, we have no idea. But look at how many. I've got 63 or whatever. And you might think that that's the litmus test. You know, the most verses I can cram into the shortest period of time means I did well. Um, but no one knows anything about how to live them. They can't even remember what they were. You know, there, there's a time and a place to hit a lot of verses. Um, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have somebody be able to live one well than have a page full of verses they can't remember. And so it's helping people. It's helping people become disciples and followers with what they know. Now, you can't separate the two. Drills are important and they have their place but to help people balance that out. How, how well are you living the verses that you know? And then I totally agree. A couple of years ago at the congregation where I attend, at, at our congregation, we have some unbelievable scholars of the Bible. It's, it's amazing. I, I'm humbled every time I sit in a class at church. However, a couple of years ago, we had a gentleman from our congregation who was in a nursing home and uh, was was basically bed bound, couldn't, you know, di didn't leave. And one Sunday morning, a woman showed up at our congregation. We none of us knew her. And she was there because she was a nurse at that nursing home. Mm -hmm. And that gentleman had been speaking to her every day when she came in to tend to him. You know what? When, when you start to list heroes of faith, the people who know have all the knowledge, they're in my list. But let me tell you, that guy is as well. Yeah. Because he's taking the knowledge that he's learned and he's sharing it. And that's exactly what we're all supposed to be doing. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous. Fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.